Welcome to Resilient Minds 365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental illnesses to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Resilient Minds 365. I'm Cleone Crawford, your host. So today we have a special guest with us. We have Angela Hartland with us. Angela, she has a really cool story. And I'm really excited to, to let you know about what her story is all about. Angela Hartland is the author of Forever Marked, a dermatologist Mania Diary that's Diary and stars in the documentary Scars of Shame. After appearing on The Doctors in 2015, Angela received help from Kevin Karen Pickett for her excoriation disorder, aka compulsive skin picking or dermatillomania. So with that said, I now present to you Angela Harlan. So Angela, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? I'm doing super. It's been a good day. You know, I got to relax in the morning and I had uh, another podcast earlier before you. And now I'm going to learn about your disorder, which I'm excited to learn more about because I think it's, I think a lot of people don't know anything about it. And I think it's a great opportunity to raise awareness for it. For sure. That's why I love being on here, being able to talk to you and speak with your audience about this compulsive condition, excoriation disorder, which is what I've had since childhood. But really to be able to speak about body focus, repetitive behaviors in general. So body-focused repetitive behaviors is an umbrella term for a, a group of behaviors that where an individual causes damage to oneself in a compulsive act, usually repetitively, mm -hmm. and they find it difficult to be able to stop. So I've had it since childhood and it got really severe in, as a teenager where I was covering my legs by the time I was 14. And I didn't get help for it because there's no help really, not not on the East Coast of Canada, but there's only five providers to my knowledge in all of Canada. There may be only a few more, but we need a lot more training in Canada for body-focused repetitive behaviors and treatment. But I ended up getting treatment through my advocacy because I was found by CBS's show, The Doctors, and I appeared with Karen Pickett, as you mentioned, and she offered me 12 weeks of treatment, which was a combination of cognitive behavioral therapy and acceptance commitment therapy. And I've been in recovery for the last seven years. And recovery isn't linear. I mean, there's times I slip up, but skin picking is a normal grooming behavior anyway. So it's kind of a little difficult to discern what recovery is versus what, you know, just removing something off your face is. And I kind of discern that by, by seeing if it's, um, 
if it's something I fall into a trance over or it like become fixated or can I just look at it, get rid of it, whatever. But I mean, for me, I have to implement a lot of lockers and barriers so that I don't see myself in the mirror to get triggered. Although my triggers aren't as bad as they used to be before therapy, um, I still do get triggered, especially like when I'm tired, for example, that's usually a big trigger. Or or if my chronic pain is worse one day, then I may find myself wanting to to relieve the the mental toll of that by picking. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the compulsion it may may not be active, but the obsession is still kind of in my brain. Okay, okay. Wow. So before we go into more learning more about your disorder, I'd like to know about what you do, what you currently do. So I know that you're an author. You you've written the book Forever Marked um is there anything else that you're doing or you can tell us more about your book um when did it when is it coming out or has it come out already uh uh forever marked a dermatillomania diary was released in 2009 mm-hmm. and i've since appeared on on the documentary scars of shame and i've had a few television appearances been in the newspapers when when excoriation first became a disorder, when the DSM-5 was released in May of 2013, I was featured all across Canadian media to kind of announce this disorder. And I was just, I was really proud of that. Um, There's been so much more awareness. I run a website and currently a support group for skin picking called Skin Picking Support. And it can be found at skinpickingsupport.com. And it's more about my story overall there. There's a lot of videos such as my appearance on The Doctors, the trailer for Scars of Shame. And there's a lot of other things that probably would really interest people if they know someone or also have excoriation disorder or want to know more about body-focused repetitive behaviors in general. Okay. So you would call yourself an advocate then? Yeah, I think that would probably be the proper term. I know these days there's content creators, influencers, but I still go by the old-fashioned advocate. (laughs) Okay, cool, cool. So excoriation disorder, it it just became known in the DSM-5. So how did it, so prior to it being known, how how was that journey? Explain how that journey was. Was it a lonely journey, not not being able to have other people that you can identify with? Like, what was it like? Just- yeah, that was that was kind of the first term that popped in my head. So I'm 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 glad you mentioned it. lonely is probably lonely and dark, lonely, dark, empty. Yeah, to not be able to connect with anyone. I didn't understand what I was doing, why I was doing it. I thought there might be an underlying skin condition that was triggering me. And while I did have acne, my picking really did start before, like it was in elementary school. So like in grade five and six, I was wearing a turtleneck, the same one in my, both of my pictures with the old 
wispy bangs from the 90s <laughs> just to hide hide what was on my try to hide what was on my forehead and to hide I remember I had marks all up at, like even that young and that, that would be at 10 years old so I'd been doing this for a long time and then it got even worse as I hit my teenage years so, so I'm assuming it, you've been suicidal and you, you mentioned that you were suicidal at one point I was reading some of your your so actually, let's just go through your, your journey. So tell us of your journey, your mental health story of resilience. How did you, like, what was the journey like going through your childhood, every, um, your, your teenage, your adolescence and, and adulthood, and um, just walk us through that journey. What was it like? Um, going through the excoriation disorder, um, did you have support? Did you, like, what was it like? Just walk, walk us through that journey. Um, um, I would start probably like in childhood, I would say that it was really alienating to have it. Cause again, I didn't know why I was doing it. I just thought I had pimples and I thought I had more pimples than the average person. I didn't know why I got it early, but I thought it was maybe something that was hereditary. So I did get teased at school. It wasn't like a chronic bullying, but some years were harder than others. So I always kind of knew that I was different and I, you know, I was called ugly and a whole bunch of other things. And so I just kind of felt like I knew my place and I didn't really belong with a lot of other people. And I felt really weird and different anyway, but that just kind of really threw me out of any type of social circle. And I only usually had like one or two good friends at a time instead of like a big network because I just kind of stayed to myself when I was younger during those times um by the time and I had a traumatic event in grade five happen where my father had a brain injury and is permanently disabled he survived had to have a piece of his brain removed um so mm. he has a lot of different issues um, my father is an amazing influence in my life he he did so much growing up for for me um so it was pretty devastating when it happened and it also shifted the dynamics in our family going from like middle class to lower class because my mom didn't have really an education couldn't go to work with having to take care of a husband and and two and a preteen and a teen so mm -hmm. uh, things got really harder in that regard and I had someone in my life um, who was pretty emotionally abusive also who all who made comments about my face in the family I had I had relatives in general make comments about me and it it really hurt because I always felt like I wasn't wasn't really good enough and so when I hit my teen years it, things just kind of it felt like exploded and I tried to fake it tried to kind of you know wear makeup to to cover things and as long as I kept my legs covered in school I just figured I could try to squeeze by without being found out because I mean at this point it's like and I didn't r realize like was I self-harming even though I knew I wasn't doing it to intentionally hurt myself in fact like when I go into the trance-like state it's to avoid that pain so I knew it wasn't that but it's like does everyone else know and at this time that I mean I had 
seen psychologists and therapists and they didn't take it seriously when I was a teenager um, because I had my grades really high. So it was just like they were more like champions of keeping your grades high than, instead of actually helping people who have issues outside of academics. So um, I felt like it was never taken seriously. Um, my legs were like a complete kind of wreck by the time I was 15 for sure mm -hmm. um had bad experiences of people accidentally seeing my body and so then I just learned that I had to keep hidden and I couldn't tell people because there were times that I had told a few friends and they had later used it against me and when getting into fights and it so I, I just, I learned to keep it to myself and to stay quiet. And, but it just, by the time I hit university, my first year of university, I was just crashing. I mean, at that point, everyone's like dating and everyone's having fun. And I'm trying to like, feels like, felt like I was trying to like, keep this secret double life to myself of how I got through that I would go home and pick for hours at a time to in order to do an essay for college for example so it was like I remember one time specifically uh, there was an essay it took me 50 percent of the time I had to stop and I was going in the bathroom and coming back and the other 50 percent of the time of writing the essay was actually writing it so it's like it took me double the time because I had to like process, I had to like get through the anxiety by going back to the bathroom and engaging in the behavior. So I eventually, eventually I did drop out of university. I couldn't work. It got to the point in my early 20s where I, I was doing it for like eight hours a night. A few nights I know for sure I was doing it for eight hours. Yeah. And like overnight it was just completely out of control and my anxiety was out of control um but I knew I just couldn't keep living the way I was living like obviously hiding it wasn't working for me mm -hmm. um so I might as well be me and if no one likes me then that there's my social filter then you know the rest of the world gets out um but I think I was also able to do that because I only heard about the term like as a disorder I had heard about it was called at the time psychogenic excoriation or neurotic excoriation was was one of the many terms and that was what I was told when I was 18 and it kind of validated like okay at least this is something and I don't think I would have been able to come out publicly had I not heard any term for a few more years because it just literally felt like am I am I quote unquote crazy? I hate using that term, but you know, I felt like that. I felt crazy. I felt like a freak. I felt like no one could love me. No one could, could deal with the, the mess inside of my head, let alone on my body. And so I was really in a dark place for a lot of those <laughs> formative years where you're, you know, trying to get to know yourself and find your place in the world. So it's, it's been pretty difficult. Yeah, I can only imagine. I can only imagine when you don't have a diagnosis. It's it's kind of, you know, it's kind of um, it's a lonely place because you don't know you don't have any direction as to where to go from here. Uh, you know, so I can understand. So the next question I have for you is, what did you have to do to overcome or bounce back from your low points? List all resources. 
Sorry, I think you cut out a little bit. So can I have that repeated? Sure. What did you have to do to overcome or bounce back from your low points? List all resources. All right. So one of the first things I ended up doing, I started doing to turn things around. I, I knew I kind of had to get outside of like the mental health system. So I actually started modeling because I had seen a few friends of mine on Facebook had gotten into the photography industry and business and had graduated from a local college. So I was like, cool, I'll, I'll check this out because I saw that they could do photo editing. And I mean, this is, this is long before Android phones and filters. So I was really fascinated when I learned that she could, the, the person at the time, she could cover um, marks and stuff on the body. So I was like, cool, I really want to do this. So I, I signed up and I mean, she ended up posting the pictures online and then other photographers got in touch with me and I was like, wow. And then I'd have to tell them the provision every time, like, okay, if you can't do Photoshop and get rid of all my marks, then, you know, it's probably best that we don't work together. So I was always upfront about it, but that was one of the things that I did to, to kind of just to see myself from another lens, because I felt like I couldn't even see myself for years. Like all I could see was marks. I couldn't see a person. I couldn't see a woman. I couldn't see like a sexual being. I couldn't see anything like that. I just, I, I felt disgusting and like a monster. And that's a horrible feeling to have for years mm -hmm. at a time. And it's all because of the loneliness. So, I mean, eventually I decided because of how dark really I had gone like by the time I was 18 and I did try to end my life. Um, I decided like, you know, I was, I was mad that there wasn't enough awareness about something that almost pretty much took my life. Um, so I, I wanted to raise awareness so that other people didn't have to go through it. I didn't know how many other people were out there. I thought that at this point, cause I was just so naive. I thought that it was probably a rare thing since nobody else at the time had spoken out about it. There was only like, at the time, I remember like two pages of Google searches and some of them like weren't even related to skin picking. It was like picking your skincare. Mm -hmm. And it, so it was, it, it was really, you know, yeah, it was pretty devastating. It's like, and then of course, trying to go to any local doctors in Nova Scotia, like most of them were dismissive. There was only like one dermatologist and my psychiatrist who were really just like from the beginning, like, yeah, this is a real condition. And, you know, I'd be really grateful for every professional I had who took me seriously because for everyone that took me seriously, I have quite a few that didn't, unfortunately. Yes. Okay. So what are three things you wish you had available when you were at your lowest point? Gosh, I wish I had a community for sure of of people who of other skin pickers who knew what it's like, who knows what it's like to walk around with skin like mine and and the looks or the comments or having to deal with friends or family or having to deal with relationships. It's like I needed someone else to know that feeling because it just was so lonely because I felt it was only me. So I would have loved to have had some sort of type of community. And that's in part why I've been really working on skin picking support and, and expanding the support group in 
which is on Facebook. And mm -hmm. because I, I think that really once you shed a light on shame, it kind of helps to end the stigma. What is it? I'm trying to think of a quote. It's like shame dies in darkness or something. It's something like that. Or sh shame dies. Some yeah. I don't want. I don't want to completely spoil it. But I I think that more healing can be done together as a community than than when you try to even do it alone with therapy. I mean, therapy is amazing, but to really have that success you have to I think have a community and by the time I had actual therapy in 2015 I had that community I had the Canadian BFRB support network I had the TLC foundation for BFRBs which was really great because by then I already had gotten to a place of self-acceptance but yeah, I, I definitely wish that I had community and people to talk to at that time. And another thing I wish I definitely had was providers, mental health providers who are trained. And I still do because with I'm, for sure, there's under 10 providers in Canada currently who treat BFRBs. And it's not that hard for mental health professionals to get trained. All they have to do is visit the TLC Foundation for BFRBs website and visit the professional training institute and get either in-person training i think it's like a weekend in-person course or a 13-hour dvd training course and they can become a trained provider i mean it's so important because so many pickers including myself have gone to therapists who not only don't understand but who chastise us who yes. who dismiss us who don't know a thing like I had a mental health nurse tell me that she had seen lots of people do it and that I just had to grow up she, she just said that they they just stopped when they wanted they decided they wanted to and I knew that wasn't it because I didn't want to look the way that I wanted to I didn't want to have to I didn't even understand the words at the time when I was 18 but I didn't want to like have the have something where I needed to relieve that anxiety. Right. And and so, I mean, just to have a professional, even if they are new at treating BFRBs and newly trained, just the fact that they have the information and know what they are and are trying is a huge step towards getting people across Canada or even across the world help for body-focused repetitive behaviors. Mm-hmm. True, true. Makes sense. Those are some good points there. Okay, so my I next think, I think you I think there was a third thing about what I wanted. Yes. Um I because I, I mean there's lots of things I want, so I'm just trying to put it all into hmm, definitely need more, I guess, nonprofit work whether it's through skin picking support or Canadian BFRB support network to be able to more funding to be able to provide more pamphlets and flyers to people like estheticians, cosmetologists, dermatologists, mental health professionals, put them in universities, but then 
really be able to expand the outreach, I think would be really important. That's something I think that was needed back then. It's something that's definitely needed now as well. Yeah, definitely. Cause I, I didn't know anything about it. And um, I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't know about um, this disorder and it, and there's probably people who would like to get in the field, but don't even know that it's something that they could actually study. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of professionals right now that I know who have taken the path of of psychology, mental health because of their own struggles with BFRBs and because they had horrible experiences. And I definitely commend them for that because that's I think it's absolutely amazing when people are able to turn their their problem into a solution for others. And although I never was able to go really high up educationally because of the a whole lot of factors in my life i i hope that i can have that same type of impact in being able to help others by sharing my pain and my story so that others don't have to feel alone and don't have to reach dark places like i did right and hopefully even preventative measures of being able to find out what what to do if you find out your kid is is picking or pulling and how to handle that and be able to provide that information for for any healthcare professional i think is super important mm -hmm. makes sense makes sense so my next question is what words of hope can you give to our listeners what would you tell them well i can tell you that no matter what no matter where you live in the world there is access to help from bfrbs because of the help that i got from karen pickett from via webcam after we appeared on the doctors together during those 12 weeks she was on the west coast of the united states i was the east coast of canada and we did the the video calls and it was successful um I know, unfortunately, there's a lot of issues such as financial access, which I didn't have to worry about since I was a guest on the show. And I'm really, really thankful for that because really I had actually I, I got into a place in my life. I was OK with the fact that I, that my legs were probably going to be covered the rest of my life and I'd battle mm -hmm. a lot with my face. I was OK with that. I was cool with that. But so to, to even get that opportunity was amazing. So I want everyone to know that it, it can get better. I think by definition, by being severe, it has potential and it will and can get better. Even just by little steps of implementing blockers and barriers, by practicing mindfulness techniques, by challenging your own cognitive distortions. And there's a whole lot other of things too that you can do. Um, Karen Pickett and I are actually co-authoring a book. We've been trying to get a publisher for a few years now and haven't had luck, unfortunately. And I'm just really frustrated because I have this book that can help people. We actually decided to co-author it during our during my therapy sessions mm -hmm. to do a back and forth look from her perspective and how I was receiving the material she was giving me. And and I if so you can see like the small changes I made like step-by-step step throughout the, the guide. And, and it, it also provides a lot of materials that she had given me 
And I learned so much in therapy that I just think I, I wish everyone could be able, everyone who needs to could access what I did. Right. So have you ever thought about self-publishing instead? I have, yes, because that's the that's the route that I took with Forever Marked or Dermatillomania Diary. I remember at the time, like I didn't I didn't even try for a publisher. I was 23 at the time and I knew like there was pretty much no awareness about it. So I didn't think any type of publisher would want to pick up on it. And I, I was probably right at the time. Um, so I don't know if I don't know the world of publishing and self-publishing enough to know if that hindered my chance of being able to get published by being successfully self-published. Because I mean, in when I did finally self-publish, I ended up selling a lot more than I had expected. And hearing back from a lot of people, like I, I, I really, I guess, was opened up to how many people in the world had this condition and just were keeping it quiet. And it really, it it really baffled me, I guess, how many like how it's been like this big hidden secret in the world just right. like there's a lot of things right now a lot of big hidden secrets in the world that are coming out like like people in the gay community and transgender community are are coming out and getting more visibility there's people with other conditions who are or sorry not other conditions there are people with conditions who are getting um who are getting more attention there's people who have a lot of causes that are getting getting the attention that they need as well to I, I find technology has done done a lot of good in bringing us together and being able to raise awareness and kind of you know shed that stigma and loneliness that a lot of people feel from having this and having to hide it for so long right Okay, cool. So now we're going to take a switch in topics just a little bit. Um, as you can see behind me, there's a book. It says The Music of My Life. It's um, a book that is about my journey with music therapy and bipolar disorder. So my question to you, we're going to talk about music therapy. So my question to you is, what types of music do you like? I, I'm really big into hard rock and maybe a little bit more metal, but I, yeah, I just, I love hard rock and a lot of it mostly from the 90s, I think. <laughs> cool. 90s, early 2000s, I think it goes with the age. Yes, 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 definitely. Okay, and if you were to think of a song that best describes your journey, what would it be and why? Gosh, I remember you had asked me that question before because there's so many songs out there that that really represent my struggles and there's so many passages. I've actually been on the Skin Picking Support Instagram account. I've been adding those songs to a Skin Picking Support song list. So I have so many right now that I can't really share right off the top of my head. I remember actually when you first asked me online, I was like Googling, I was like, oh no, I have all these different songs and, and artists popping up that I just, I can't even. So um, yeah, I think I, I was just, 
I, I don't know what which one to choose. So I, I have to say, because right now there's like on the Skin Picking Support handle, there's TLC song Unpretty, which rings true to me. Um, there's Our Lady Peace, which is my favorite band song, um, Life. I think that was the one that I ended up sending to you. That's the one that yeah. sent me, yeah. Because yeah, I, I was just like, yeah, that one's it. Um, what is it? There's a Savage Garden song. Um, it may be Affirmation, but that, that's a little off. Gosh. But yeah, I actually, and there's a cool artist that's like, super talented i want everyone to check out i don't know where she, she's from somewhere in the states her name is kawahi check her out i've listened to her stuff for years she does the most amazing covers and like blows everything away so if there's any music therapy i i can offer it's to go listen to her stuff okay cool cool so how can we stay in touch with you what are your social media handles uh, well, you can find me on Instagram at both Angela Hartland and Skin Picking Support. And you can find me on Facebook by going to the Facebook group, Skin Picking Support. And then I make posts under Angela Hartland, Dermatillomania Author and Advocate. Um, don't use Twitter too much, but I do have Angela Hartland, but mainly in mainly Instagram and Facebook are where I do my communication. Of course, everything that you want to know about what my advocacy journey is on www.skinpickingsupport.com. Okay, let me just write that last one in. Skinpickingsupport.com. And congratulations on your book. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Music so really that, does fill the soul. Pardon me? Music really does fill the soul. It can be so overwhelming. I love it. Yeah, I love music. It's it's played such a great role in my life. Um, definitely. So with that said, I thank you very much, Angela, for being a guest on our show and sharing your journey with us. It's been very enlightening for sure. So to all you resilient minds out there, until next time. Please subscribe to us on all our platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave a review for us on all on Apple Podcasts. And join the community of Resilient Minds and sign up for our news, monthly newsletter at cleonycrawford.com. Be sure to grab a copy of my book, The Music of My Life, on all Amazon marketplaces to get to know me better. And if you can think of one person that will receive value from today's show or connect with Angela's testimonial, please share it with them. Feel free to take a screenshot of this week's episode of the podcast and tag us on Instagram. You can tag myself, only Cleone, only Cleone or Resilient Minds 365 and today's guest at Angela Hartland or Skin Picking Support on, on Instagram. And remember, mental health is not a death sentence. Despite your illness, you can strive, thrive, and live a life of abundance. Until next time. I'm Cleone Crawford and I'm signing off.